Father, again, we want to thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you'd help us be mindful of your presence in the midst of the changes uh, that are going on around us. Uh, No matter what is happening, you are the same. Uh, Yesterday, today, and forever, uh, you are the same. And we give you thanks, Lord God, that we can rest in you, we can hope in you, we can look to you, um, and we can find our strength and joy in you as well. So we pray in the midst of uh, this time here this morning and the days ahead that you would give us uh, reminders of great joy, knowing that uh, our connection to you ensures um, a, a life that goes beyond everything that we experience here. And uh, we thank you again for your goodness. We pray that you'd open our ears uh, to hear what it is that you have for us this morning. And we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I was just at some, uh, some meetings in Abbotsford uh, with our national, uh, national staff. And y- y- you know, you've all experienced some of the craziness of things going on. But, but uh, our executive director, Bill Taylor, was telling a story of his daughter who is a nurse in Surrey. Now, Surrey can be crazy anyhow, but, but this, the craziness goes further than that. Um, a lady got off, a, got off a plane or something, and she, she drove to Surrey and came into the emergency room and said, I need to be tested for COVID-19. And they said, well, why? Are you experiencing symptoms? And she said, well, no, but I just drove through Richmond. Now, if you don't know, Richmond is a highly populated um, uh, Chinese, primarily is, is that ethnic group. And uh, you're thinking, are you kidding me? But, but there, there's all kinds of, uh, of challenges that exist, and we experience that uh, around us, and we experience that in our own hearts um, as we kind of try to process what does this look like for us in, in the midst of all these changes. Now, some of you, not only are you dealing with the, the, uh, the, the trouble that exists with the, the virus, COVID-19, but you carry regular stuff with you that have, uh, it's been going on for a while. You, you may have brought it in. We're talking about uh, the, the old stuff, the, the ongoing stuff of um, there's broken relationships, uh, there's financial stresses that you face, and perhaps even more now, or anticipation of things to come, all that. We, we walk into a place like this, and we carry with us all kinds of various degrees of trouble, trouble from the past, trouble that's happening now, and in fact, our, we're so used to trouble in the world that we anticipate things that haven't come to be yet. We, the term is, we borrow trouble. So we're looking into the future and trying to prepare ourselves for things that haven't happened yet. That's how used to trouble we are, and, uh, and that's the reality of our situation. The question uh, that, I, that I wonder about is, is not, you know, how many troubles we'll have or w- what they will be, but how do, how do we respond to them in the midst of what we're going through? How will we respond to them? Will we let fear drive us? Will we let worry drive us? Will we, will we have trouble sleeping because of those things. And I know, I'm guessing that a good portion of us here have already been challenged with that, whether we realize it or not. What do we deal? Uh, how do we deal with, with all this stuff? Another question that I ask is, how can our strength, uh, how can our faith remain strong in the midst of this season where we trust Christ and we keep um, looking to him? Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How can we strengthen our faith 
in the midst of trouble. I want to root this message in this verse, John 16, 33. Uh, the main passage we'll look at is Revelation 1, 9 to 20, and we'll get to that just in a second. Uh, but this is where we'll, we'll root it. Uh, Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What good does that do us? Knowing that Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't you think it would have been better if he would have said, hey, take heart, you have what it takes to overcome the world. You don't have to worry. You have what it takes. Um, There is all kinds of good things that'll happen uh, because you have what it takes. But he didn't say that. He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. There's only one person who has ever overcome the world, and that's Jesus. And he gives us the opportunity to remain connected to him, um, remain close to him. Um, And if we stay close to Jesus, if we stay connected to him, he will give us everything we need not, not to walk around trouble, not to bypass it, but to get through it, to make it through, to walk through. Um, all the joy in the world is available to us because of our relationship with Jesus, because he has overcome the world and he has plans and purposes for us. He has promises that he has made to us to be with us, to walk with us, to provide a home for us in the future. That certainty should shape us and should take us to a different location in regards in our hearts, in regards to how we worry, how we deal with, with, uh, with things that are going on in the world. But how do we remain connected to Jesus? How do we remain connected to him in the midst of trouble? It's one thing to have a strong faith and we're connected to Jesus and we're, we're excited. The joy of the Lord is our strength and, and we're, we're pumped up about the opportunities of, of being faithful to him in the midst of uh, challenging times. But what if we're not there? How do, how, do you, how do you maintain a strong faith? I think there's, there's four things, uh, four lies that we need to confront. Our main, my main passage here is uh, Revelation 9, or sorry, Revelation 1, verses 9 to 20. I'm going to read that first, and then we're going to unpack it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and, compa- uh, and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
The first lie we need to confront is that no one knows the trouble I'm going through. Going through. No one knows how I'm experiencing this. John knew trouble. John was in the midst of trouble. He wasn't special. He wasn't different than any other follower of Jesus. Even though he was the one that Jesus loved, spent time with Jesus, close proximity to Jesus, he associates himself with his readers, simply referring to himself as a brother, as one who shares in the same suffering as they do. He's suffering because he was living out uh, and preaching the same message that Jesus preached, a devotion to God, love to God, serving people, loving people, expressing the heart of the Father to the people. He was faithful to the proclamation of God's word. And even though it would have been a lot easier for him to bypass that, to, not to proclaim the word of God, and, and then bypass the trouble that, that came to him. I think we can relate to that. That there are times where it would be easier not to say anything about Jesus, not to express our faith in Christ, and, and we, wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't then be associated with the suffering that so easily is connected to the proclamation of the gospel and living out your faith. Because you don't know how people, uh, what they'll think of you, Right? We can ensure our comfort by, by walking around that suffering. But John wasn't concerned about his comfort. He wanted to be found faithful to who God had called and equipped him to be as a follower of Jesus. He wanted to stay connected to that calling of being a follower of Christ and, and to raise up other followers of Jesus, other people who would look like Jesus, they would sound like Jesus, they would express the heart of the Father to people around them. That's what he wanted. And because of his faithfulness to Jesus, the emperor Domitian exiled him to a small rocky island um, in the Aegean Sea called Patmos. It was about uh, 16 kilometers long and 8 kilometers wide, 60 kilometers west-southwest of Miletus. Some scholars say that the island of Patmos was a penal colony, a whole island filled with convicts. Some say it wasn't. The reality is, we don't know. The only thing that we do know for sure is that this wasn't a vacation hotspot, and John didn't want to be there. Have you ever tried to be faithful to who Jesus calls you to be and what he calls you to do, and you end up in a place that you never thought you'd be, in a place that you didn't want to be, but you're there? And I'm talking about the normal things where, where we express the heart of Christ and we're faithful to the call of Christ. And uh, in, in our family, Maybe we get voted off the island, unlike John who was voted on the island. Um, But there's a cost. There's always a cost to following Christ. And John found that out, and he was alone. But he wasn't really alone, because even on the mainland, people knew that he was exiled, and they were praying for him. That's what the church is for. The church comes together to lift up followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Not only to share their toilet paper... Um, which we should. I mean, you know, uh, let's, I'll just leave that. Um, but, but we ought to be there for one another. And the, the mainland followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, were there for John. They were praying for him. John was there for them too, but they didn't realize it at the time because Jesus was giving him a vision of something that they needed. Um, They needed a bigger picture of who he was. Why? Because they were going through suffering and hard times, experiencing trouble just like he was in a different location, and they were discouraged. That's why 
uh, Jesus gives John this picture, this vision, so that all of God's people will understand who he is and that they can rest in him and trust him knowing that he's greater than all the challenges that they're walking through. No matter what troubles you face in life, it can't stop you from living out who Jesus has called and gifted you to be. It can't stop you from looking to him, from acting like him, from resting in him. But we don't always get to choose where we live out our faith in Christ. And sometimes that's in a hard place. Sometimes that's in a lonely place. But we're never alone. The second line we must confront if we want a stronger faith that enables us to remain connected to Jesus is that if Jesus is with me, troubles will pass quickly. How did John get through this particular trouble or hardship in his life? In verse 9, it tells us that he developed patient endurance. Don't you love that? Patient endurance. That's endurance not just to make it through a moment of suffering. That's endurance that enables you to make it through a season of suffering. Patient endurance. If we may remain in Christ, crying out to him for his strength and perspective, then we can endure troubles and hardships patiently. And through that patient endurance, we will experience the reality of his kingdom. His kingdom is where he rules and reigns, where he oversees all things and where all those under his care, under his supremacy, uh, not only reflect his image, but they yield to him and they trust and they rest in him because they know that he's, he's, he's good and he's kind and he's loving and he's all-powerful and just and righteous and holy. This world and all its troubles are temporary. You know that. His kingdom is eternal. We know that. But we also are experiencing the beginning of his kingdom. His kingdom has come in part because Christ has imparted to us an understanding of his supremacy. He has taken care of our sins on the cross and and invited us into a relationship with the Father. We're already experiencing his supremacy and his care for us that will last for an eternity. But for now, we have to walk in this world while experiencing his kingdom. And so we're in both places. And and sometimes it can get challenging and and sometimes you can be in in places and just be overwhelmed with the troubles of the world and forget that you're also in the kingdom where there is no concern. Why? Because Jesus rules and reigns supremely and his, his care and his compassion and his love and his mercy and his grace and his righteousness are forever. We rest in that and we hope in that and we look to that. But we're in both places right now. Troubles, if they don't pass quickly, we think, um, Jesus, well, he's with me if my troubles pass quickly. Hebrews 10, 35 to 37 says this. Do not, so do not throw away your confidence. And confidence in what? Confidence in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our sins. That once we receive his death as payment for our sins, we are transported into relationship with Christ. We are connected to him. We're in Jesus. And we can enjoy company with him and with the Father, experience his kingdom. Your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. 
The third lie that weakens our faith and must be confronted is that if my troubles persist, Jesus must not be with me. Jesus knew what John was going through. That's why he sent him this vision, to remind him of his presence in his trouble. And this vision wasn't just for John, it was for all God's people, because all God's people need to remember that Jesus is not only with us in everything we're going through, he's greater than all that we're going through. He's greater than all of our troubles. So John says he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Now notice where John wasn't. He wasn't on the mainland in a building worshiping God with all God's people. Um, There was no one to lead him in worship. There were no musical instruments uh, there, were, there, were, there was no proclamation of the gospel as we understand it when we come to worship. There was nothing that we typically enjoy and look to and look for, and yet he was in the Spirit. The Spirit came to visit him in a special way. It doesn't, doesn't say that, that before this John didn't have the Spirit. It just says that this was a unique outpouring of the Spirit um, in order to reveal something very uh, amazing to John. And in the midst of all of that, not having what we typically have and look for, right? Um, he had Jesus in his midst. Um, he had a rock, probably. It was an island, rocky island. A, a rock to sit on. And the Spirit visited him in a profound way and spoke to him. It says, and I heard behind me, John says, a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So he hears a, a loud voice like a trumpet. I'm not going to do my trumpet impersonation. It's very good, but I'm, I'm not going to do it this morning. It's loud. It's clear. It's distinct. There's no mistaking what he's hearing. The sound is authoritative, and there's a clear message in it. John's trying to find metaphors to describe the greatness of Jesus and the message that he has for his people. The great thing isn't just that Jesus is greater than all of our troubles. It's that he wants all of his people to know that he's greater than all of our troubles. It's not just for John, this message. This is for all of us, not just for the people on on the mainland um, uh, in John's time, but, but for all of God's people through all of history, through all of time. That he's greater than all of our trouble. John's supposed to deliver this message. The question that I have is, how? Jesus says, I'm going to give you a message and you go and deliver it to these churches. And John's going, there's no no record of that, you know, here. But, But he's on an island, exiled. How? Am I supposed to deliver a message to these churches? These churches were all along the same postal route, and they were 50 to 80 kilometers apart. Here's the thing. They all received the letter. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten it. They all received this vision. Otherwise, we wouldn't have received it. Verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So... And, and we're getting into the, the main part of the, the vision. But, but sometimes there are assignments that God gives us. And we'll say, I can't do that. 
I can't do that. I don't have the resources. I'm isolated. I have, I have no influence. There's no possible way I can do that. But he always has a plan, and he always has the power to fulfill his plan. And when he calls us to something, we don't have to have all the answers. All we need to do is to be faithful to what we know that he's called us to. That's it. That's all. Sometimes we have to wait in order to fulfill what he has for us, as John must have. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In its simplest form, a lampstand is what? Well, it's a stand that you put a lamp on. That's a lampstand. He saw those lamp. They were golden, and uh, there were seven of them. It's something that helps light to be seen. Something that carries the light into the darkness. In verse 20, we're told that the lampstands represent the churches. The church's sole responsibility isn't to keep light to itself. It's not to guard the light so that we have the light and no one else can have the light. It's to carry the light into the darkness. How well does the lampstand, his church, aid in Jesus being noticed in the world? We need to ask that question. Corporately and individually, When it's obvious to everyone that fear is driving people to do things like hoard toilet paper. Rational people don't line up an hour or two hours before Costco opens so they can get as much toilet paper as they can carry. Now, if you're in a line, and maybe you were, an hour before Costco opened hoping to get some toilet paper, it may be that you just needed toilet paper. The, the thing that I'm trying to point out is that sometimes we do irrational things because we're driven by fear. We have no hope, and that's what happens in the world. When you don't have Jesus, when you don't know about Jesus, when you don't know what he offers you, when you don't know what he's done for you, then all you have is what you can muster up. And so you can come up with all the wisdom. You can come up with a great strategy. Frank, you're off to Costco. Pete, you're going to Canadian Tire. We're going to cover. We're going to blanket the place, and we're going to see if there's any... any toilet paper around and we're going to get it all. And then we're selling it on Kijiji for $10 a roll. We're going to make some coin. Um, I heard a story about a guy who bought a pallet of toilet paper and, uh, and before the store, I think, opened or something, and he gave it all away. That's something that the church would be known for a response by people to be gracious and understanding um, so that we offer to others what it is that they need to make it through a particular time. That's God's influence in our lives where we become servants instead of thinking about ways we can take care of ourselves, which we ought to do anyhow, um, you know, and be wise in the midst of this season. But we also want to look out for other people and to care for them and to do what we can for them. We were created for a specific reason, to house the light of Christ and carry the hope of the world into the world. We're not shoe racks, we're not coat racks, and we're not to be in the closet. Um, We're to carry the light of Christ into the world. Now we need to be wise about how we do that, but you look out uh, through uh, church history and there are always times and places where the church rose. They raised the bar in how do you serve culture in the midst of a very difficult, trying time. Um, some of you will be called to serve 
and you will, have to, you will raise the bar because that's your heart and that's what God has done for you. Um, even being here um, is, is one of those areas where you go, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm okay with this. Not everybody will be and not everybody maybe should be, right? There are other people that maybe we can be there for. Um, verse 13, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Where's Jesus? He's, he's among the lampstands. He's among his church. He's in the midst of his people. He knows exactly what we struggle with, how hard it is for us to persevere. He knows what we do well and where we fail. He's aware of it all because, because he's, always, he's always in the midst of his people. Where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's always in the midst of his people. When you feel alone and you feel uh, there's, there's so much um, social distancing that you wonder if Jesus is close to you, he is. He is. He's always in the midst of his people. The fourth lie that needs to be confronted if our faith is to be strengthened is that Jesus is exactly the same as he was in the gospel accounts. We all have a picture of Jesus. You know, some people, we've heard stories about their, you know, he has blonde hair and blue eyes or brown hair and blue eyes. We have a picture of him. And some people view Jesus as the baby Jesus in the manger, and that's, that's primarily who they see. Listen to who John sees. He's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. John had never seen Jesus like this. He had spent three years of his life with Jesus, and Jesus never showed up like this. He saw him transfigured on the mountain, and that was remarkable. But, but this, this is, is different. No human except John has ever seen Jesus like this. So why did Jesus want his people to be able to envision him, see him, visualize him like this? Because he's beyond our perception. Because he's bigger more majestic, more transcendent than anything that we um, experience, no matter how profound our troubles seem. And sometimes they feel really big, and and we don't have any answers, and, and we're searching and we're longing for answers, and they're not coming. And Jesus is beyond this. Now, he's also with us, right? He's in the midst of his people in his church, but he's transcendent too. John had never seen him like this. He's greater than any trouble, any hardship. He's dressed exactly like a high priest would dress. He wears a golden sash around his chest. Now a sash on, uh, around, the, around the, the, the waist meant that the priest was working. When it was around the chest, it meant that his work was finished. And Jesus said on the cross, what? It's finished. There is trouble that we will not have to give an account for until later. Most people never think of that. The accountability that we have because a holy God has created us and we have rebelled against him. Jesus has taken care of our rebellion. And then by faith, when we receive that, there's peace and there's joy in our hearts. It's finished. He takes us into the holy of holies, into the very presence of our Father, Heavenly Father. His head and hair were white like wool and as white as snow. It's the same description that Daniel uses to describe God in Daniel chapter 7. 
It says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. John's describing divine DNA. The DNA of God the Father is in God the Son. His eyes were like blazing fire. Like that's, there's, there's like normal fire and then there's blazing fire. When's the last time you ever looked at someone and you thought, man, your eyes are on fire? I bet never, right? So this is unique and it's not just on fire, it's blazing fire, which is much more on fire than just being on fire. That's my understanding of the Greek. When we approach Jesus and look into his eyes, what happens? We don't experience condemnation. We don't experience shame. Even when we come to him and we're a puddle of unknowns and fears and questions and, uh, and maybe rebellion and anger, um, he comes and he burns away what separates us from him. Um, our sin, um, our misinformation, our misunderstanding, he burns it away because that's who he is and that's what he does in order that we can be close to him, be in proximity to him. He's greater than anything that would make us impure, that it would distance us from him. If you're in the presence of Jesus, the Jesus that John is describing, you will never be the same. You'll never see your sin the same. And I'm including in that things like fear and shame, some Sometimes we go back to the things that worked for us previously, right? We default back because it's just bang, it happens so quick. We don't go back to those things that have ruled over us in the past because they don't satisfy. They, they don't make sense anymore because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that Jesus takes care of us and he watches over us. He's bigger than our troubles. Verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword bronze is a combination of iron and copper iron is strong but it rusts copper is pliable endure uh, um, malleable but it but it lasts it's soft when you combine them you get one who rules over a kingdom that's strong and everlasting his voice is like rushing waters. It drowns out the noise of distractions and lies. It soothes and relaxes anxious hearts. That's the voice of Jesus. He's greater than all your weaknesses and all your insecurities. Is this the Jesus that you see when troubles come knocking? When fears present something that are, that's bigger than you? Is this the Jesus that you see? The term translated double-edged sword describes a sharp, short blade that's used for close combat. When the Son of Man does battle with sin in our lives, he gets real close. And he drives the truth of his word into our hearts. And our attitudes and motives are revealed. And there's only one way that sin can take root in our hearts, and that if we make room for it. He's greater than any sin, and if confessed, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's greater than all our trouble that we bring on ourselves and all the trouble that others bring on us as well. 
His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and out of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There's only one response to the risen Christ that makes any sense when we come into the presence of the risen Christ. And, and John makes it clear what it is. You fall on your face reverently, humbly, as though dead. And there's only one response from the risen Christ who is greater than all that makes any sense. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. He touches us and he takes away our fear. And he says... There's no need for you to be afraid. And he lifts us up. He sets us on a solid rock. And he allows us to trust him. And to be filled with joy and optimism. Because we know that he is greater than all. No matter what, where, where you might presently be. He's in your midst. No matter where you might find yourself in the future. You can know that he will be in your midst. You're not alone. You're not defeated. You're not silenced because Jesus is greater than all. And he has a life for you to live and a message for you to proclaim. It's not one of fear and not one of doubt, even though we may feel those things at times. It's, it's, it's one of hope and of joy and of optimism because we know the risen Christ. And we know him as a baby. We know him in the gospel accounts. But we also know the risen, glorious, reigning Christ who lives beside the Father forever. He lives with us, obviously, too. But he reigns and rules supremely in his kingdom forever and ever in a different way than we understood him um, in the gospel accounts. Confront the fear and the worry and all the what-ifs and take heart because Jesus has overcome this world and all its trouble. And he's greater than all. Father, we want to give you thanks for who you are, and uh, we want to thank you for your son. Thank you for his ruling supremacy. Thank you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have for us individually, for us corporately as your church. And we pray, Lord God, for brothers and sisters, not just in, in Okotoks and in Alberta and in Canada, but in um, Italy and and, uh, and Spain and China. Father, we pray that your spirit would do such a profound work in the hearts of your people that they would, they would rise up to serve and reflect your heart. Um, they would rise up to grant a, a word of encouragement to their neighbors, uh, people around them that don't know you and, and what you bring to the table. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bring healing and hope and restoration. And we thank you again that in all things, through all things, that we can trust you uh, completely. Uh, we thank you again, Lord God, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.